Greetings to each of you in the precious name of the Lord Jesus. Thankful for the service so far. <clears throat> the things that were shared here. I was uh, I was asked midweek whether I'm going to share a message related to Thanksgiving, and I said I wasn't, and I and I am not. But I admit my thoughts were. A thought came a few times, I wonder if I uh, should have considered that. But uh, Matt did a very nice job of covering the subject. So thank you, Matt. And I don't feel at all guilty for not addressing it. Um, Though we could uh, probably preach many messages about thankfulness, and it wouldn't be out of order at all. <clears throat> I um, I do have a subject here that um, I suppose it is probably going to be the beginning of perhaps a series of messages. I I don't know yet what it's all going to develop into. But um, it certainly has the potential. Um, it's been several times over the last while, maybe a couple years, that um, I've probably thought about it and I heard comments about it that... Um, Oh, the thought that there's subjects that should maybe be discussed that haven't been in quite some time. And one of those subjects is the subject of the home. Of course, we all know that the, the Godly Home series was popular in its day. And I think in many ways, uh, for numerous years at least, most people didn't consider it real necessary to take up the subject because everyone had been well exposed to the teachings on the home by Denny. However, another generation has come. We have numerous young fathers sitting here and there's a possibility that some of you actually never heard it that teaching or uh, any teaching like it and it's it is uh, it is not good for for us as a people to uh use crutches in other words use the crutch of someone else's teaching and not do our own it's not a good thing uh to just uh Take the approach that, well, someone else taught it and you can sit down, you can listen to that. And uh, But rather, to let the Spirit of God move our hearts and uh, give, give, uh, give teachings on subjects like that. So, this morning, <clears throat> that is my plan. Uh, the title of the message 
I could have two titles, um, not exactly sure which I should actually choose. We could call it the head of the household, or we could call it the man of the house. Nonetheless, we're going to be talking to the men, but be assured that there's something here for you as sisters, too, because the things that I say are going to, uh, they have application in all of our lives, so you don't need to tune out. Maybe we would say, why would I start a series on the home with the man of the house? Maybe I could say, because that's where God started. God started with the man of the house. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, And the Lord God formed Adam out of the dust of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. We're familiar with that. Uh, we're familiar with uh, Genesis 2.18 when God said, It's not good that man should be alone. I will make an help meet for him. First uh, Timothy 2 verse 13, Paul tells us that Adam was first formed and then Eve. Uh, all of these... All of these uh, uh, scriptures give us a clear, clear uh, indication that God did start with, with, uh, with the man, uh, that the the woman was created to come alongside of him, and so that's where we start today. As we think about the home, we start with the man. We have the uh, the scriptural. Headship order in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 3. But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. Uh, Again, just kind of uh, a um, kind of an illustration uh, of God's God's order. You know, when we think about the head, we, of course, if we think about our physical body, uh, we recognize that the head is actually the control center. It's the brain is there and it's what gives direction to the rest of the body. And that's the illustration that we have used for this relationship where the man is the head. He's he's uh, he is the one who is in charge of this home structure. He's the one who is. Uh, responsible. Uh, he's the brain behind it, if you may say so, uh, to an extent. You know, if we use another illustration, we could use the illustration of of the the head of a company. You know, he's kind of the person in charge of the company. The rest are under him. Uh, The uh, in the relationship of uh, of the home, the man is the head. We, I could even may I even use the term the man is the owner. It's his. You know, you own something. It's yours. Uh, the wife is his. The children are his. And and don't take those terms to extremes. I'll I'll uh, give some balance to that. But uh, 
as we think about it, the man is is the head. Um, he is the owner. It's his. However, that brings us to a question. <clears throat> as we think about the man of the house, that brings us to a question. And the question is this. Because it is his, because he is the man of the house, because he is the owner, does that give him privilege or does that give him responsibility? What should his posture be? Should his posture of heart be one of, I have privileges here, I am the owner, it is mine, I can do with it what I want, I can handle it the way I want, I can uh, use it to my benefit, to my advantage, to my pleasing? Is that the posture? The posture of privilege? Privilege simply means uh, a particular or a yeah a particular benefit or adva- or advantage enjoyed by a person or a company or a society beyond the common advantages of other citizens. So it's the idea of uh, of you have added benefit. You can you have added uh, uh, on top and above. <clears throat> A particular benefit or advantage, right or immunity not coming to others of the human race. So, the posture of privilege is that I have advantages and benefits uh, that I can enjoy because I'm on top. I own it. It's mine. Uh, I'm the man in charge. God put me there. You have to listen to me, you know, that kind of a thing. That's the attitude of privilege. <clears throat> privilege has a self-focus. Uh, it's what's in it for me. But then there's... But let's consider, uh, is, that, is that what God had in mind when he said, the man is the head of the woman? Is that what he had in mind? Is that the posture of heart he was looking for? The word responsibility has a very different ring to it. A very different note. A very different posture. Um, the word responsibility is simply this. It's the state of being accountable or answerable as for a trust or office or debt and so forth. Uh, but the state of being accountable, and it's interesting, uh, when we think of responsibility, we tend to think of, okay, uh, if, I, uh, if, I, if I would have um, three, uh, three of you and I would, uh, I would call you out and I would tell you to go out and, and rake the, the yard, and rake all the leaves, and I would tell uh, one of you, you are in charge. You are responsible to see that the job gets done. Our mentality of responsibility immediately is of the task at hand. This person needs to see to the task and that it gets done right. The actual meaning the dictionaries give us of responsibility is not the task at hand, but the reporting back of the task. 
and whether in fact it was done as 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 uh, as uh, it was uh, called for. Uh, we tend to, when we hear the word, think of what needs to be done. The word actually has more of the idea of a be, being accountable for what is done, and the emphasis is on the accountable end of things. Don't know if you can tell that difference or not, but the state of being accountable. So when we talk about responsibility, we're talking about accountability. Is being the head, does that give us privilege or does that give us account, uh, responsibility? Uh, I, think, uh, I think we would all agree that uh, God didn't intend that we would view it as privilege, but that we would view it as account of, as as responsibility we could say it this way the headship order given in 1 Corinthians is not a chain of privileges but a chain of responsibility it's a chain of responsibility responsibility means that i will need to answer for my household as the man as the man in charge, as the one who owns it, I need to give account. I need to give answer uh, for my household, for those who are under me, for my wife, for my children. And that has a very different focus than the privilege focus and uh, the self selfish uh, focus of privilege as, as opposed to the outward focus of responsibility. <clears throat> so, having, uh, having considered that, let's move on. Uh, as we think about, as we think about uh, the head of the household, I'd like to begin to consider what are some important virtues for the head of the house. Uh, and interestingly enough, I only got one covered in this message, so we might be at it a while. But the uh, the important virtues of the head of the house, and I'm in in the book of Job. We've already been there before this morning, and uh, it's a good place to be. In Job chapter one, the very first verse says this: There was a man. In the, in the land of Uz, whose name was Job, and that man was perfect and upright and one that feared God and eschewed evil. The first virtue that we like to talk about today is that of fearing God as the head of the household. One of the, uh, as the, one of the most important virtues is that of fearing God, and we will talk about that at length. Won't exhaust the subject, but uh, we'll look at various aspects of it. Fearing God. We have a a scripture, and you don't need to turn to this one. I'll read it. It's in Nehemiah chapter 7, verse 1 and 2. I read verse 1 to give context to verse 2. Now, it came to pass when the wall was built, I had set up the doors and the porters and the singers, and the Levites were appointed. And then I gave my brother... Hanani and Hananiah, the ruler of the palace, charge over Jerusalem, for he was a faithful man and feared God above many. Now, what an interesting comment about a man. 
He feared God above many. Now, I, as I was, as I read that, I, I thought, okay, I wonder what did that look like? What, how did that work itself out in his life? How did uh, Nehemiah, looking on, recognize that this man fears God above many? What, what for gauge was he using to, to, uh, to uh, evaluate that? Just an interesting comment, um, interesting scripture, but uh, and, and it really does give us uh, give us recognition that you know what we might all say say we fear God, but how much do we fear God? Do we fear God above many, or do we fear God like the average person in America? You know, it's pro- I trust there's a difference. Uh, the average person in America. Uh, probably has not a lot of concept of the fear of God. We have the uh, another uh, fairly uh, profound testimony of the fear of God, which is in Genesis chapter 22, verse 12, uh, the account of Abraham when he... Uh, takes Isaac and puts him on the altar and binds him and raises his knife to slay him because God had told him to do so. And to hear God's uh, response as he, as God spoke up at the last moment there and he, and says this, and he, and he, God said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him, for I know, for now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thy only son, from me. So, in this case, God demonstrates, or God testifies of, of Abraham's fear of, of him, and, uh, testifies that, uh, now I know, God says. Uh, so the fear of God is important. It is something to be considered in our lives. Um, we have the testimony in Acts chapter 1 of uh, Cornelius. Uh, it is said of him that he was a devout man and one that feared God with all his house. Um, not sure what that looked like in his experience, but he, this, was his, this was his testimony. <clears throat> we would have the testimony of the, uh, the midwives in uh, Exodus when... Uh, Pharaoh was trying to, de- uh, yeah, depress, uh, oppress the uh, Israelites, and told the midwives to kill the the uh, babies that are born, the male child children. And uh, in Exodus one verse seventeen, it tells us that the midwives feared God and did not, as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the men children alive. <clears throat> So there's another testimony of some people that feared God. We have, uh, we have the testimony of Joseph, and it doesn't use the actual words feared God, but he, he, uh, when he was confronted by, uh, uh, is it Potiphar's wife? I think I have that name right. I'll suddenly slip my mind. But there is none greater in this house than I, was Joseph's response. Neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee. Because thou art his wife, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And there is a, an example of a man who feared God. 
just it's crystal clear. There's no question. There's no doubt. He feared God. <clears throat> so here we have a few examples of, of a few people in their lives. And they had the testimony that they feared God. And we can see uh, by their actions how that fear of God worked itself out in their experience. Uh, each one of them. Uh, we have uh, we have Joseph. You know, how did that work itself out in his experience? The fear of God. It caused him to run, uh, leaving his coat behind him. Uh, we have the example of the midwives and how the fear of God worked itself out in their lives. They did not do what the king uh, had told them to do, what Pharaoh had told them to do. Uh, we have the... Of course, have Abraham and the fear of God and how it, uh, uh, how he responded. <clears throat> so the fear of God is without doubt an important virtue in a man's life. And in the, in the, in the, in the head of a house in his life. Um, but we could maybe ask the question, okay, what, what exactly is the fear of God? You know, what does it look like? How do we know if we have it? How do we know if we have uh, an average fear of God or opposed to a, a lot of the fear of God and so forth? Um, maybe we'll try to answer some of those questions as we go. What is the fear of God? Maybe before we actually give a lot of definition to the fear of God, maybe we can just look a little bit at, at the fear of God as opposed to, um, and when I use the word fear, I'm, uh, you know, we're, we're talking about reverence, we're talking about a, um, a deep respect, uh, not, uh, no, we, and maybe, uh, and I think I'll, I'll try to answer just a little bit to the thought of, of how does the fear of God relate to, you know, the reverence of God to others uh, in our lives. For example, we had the uh, we had the midwives who didn't listen to the king. Now the king was an authority in their lives, but they didn't listen to him because of the fear of God. Let's let's consider that aspect of the fear of God, and then we'll move on and give more definition to the fear of God in Matthew chapter ten. And you can turn there. We'll spend just a little bit of time there. In Matthew 10. In verse 16. I only read verse 16 to give us context to what we'll look at later in this chapter. But we have Jesus speaking to his disciples. And he says unto them, Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. And so that's the context. We get over to uh, verse uh, 24, 25, 26. Uh, he's continuing his teaching. He says that... Um, if they've called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more shall they call him of his household? You know, and they've they've persecuted me. They're going to persecute you, is what he was saying. Verse twenty-six, he says, "Fear them not, therefore, 
For there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, and hid that shall not be known. What I tell you in darkness, that speak ye in light, and what ye hear in, in the ear, that preach upon the housetops. And fear that not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. And uh, goes on, gives the account of the sparrows in verse 31. He says again, fear ye not therefore, for ye are more value than many sparrows. There we have the uh, the, the the idea of uh, of not fearing men, but fearing God. Um, and we could ask ourselves the the question, and sometimes it can actually be a little bit confusing as to. And again, I, I like to think of the word respect here. Uh, Basically, when, when we have someone like the midwives who, uh, they feared God, meaning they, res- their, their reverence, their respect for God, uh, was the top, uh, of their, in their hearts and, and, uh, was number one. Uh, same with the other examples that we gave. So in this, uh, in this particular, uh, uh, account here in this scripture, we have uh, we have God and I'll try to illustrate this just a little bit if we can. So if we were if we were to put uh, if we were well, let's just uh, let me do it like this. Let uh, let me put an eye here for each one of us. So we have God, and uh, we have this, and we could put here our our boss, and we have this relationship going on here as well. Uh, we have the police, and they have a place. God has put them there for a purpose. Uh, we can even put parents here. Um, they're running out of room. I could write below. We a wife could put a husband here because she is he is in this category of authorities as well. We could put church or elders here. And so in life, we we all have. Uh, we all have this this uh, call of reverence, call of fear. You, I'll use the word fear because we're talking about the fear of God. Um, uh, the and we have all these other. Uh, and so here are you. I should have used a red one for that. But uh, here you are, and uh, each one of us is there. And in life, we have, we have fear that goes this direction too. We have reverence that goes this direction. Uh, and we need to have. It's, it's, it's all a God-given order. But just like it was for all these individuals that we saw in the Bible, there is a, there is a place in each of our lives and hearts where, 
the fear of God has to supersede all of these. Has to have a level that goes over top of all of these. We have to have some connection here that, uh, that, uh, is, is, uh, it's distinct. It's, it needs to be a part of our understanding of, of our accountability. Uh, and we could ask the question, how does this work? How does this fear of God work as opposed to the fear uh, respect for those others in our lives. <clears throat> I have an example. I think it illustrates it somewhat. I'm not sure if it illustrates it completely. As it relates to, uh, and I could have put the IRS in there too. Uh, as it relates to other authorities in our lives. I had... Um, I had an encounter with uh, an authority in my life, the uh, the uh, Pennsylvania uh, Sales Tax Office Department. In the last month, six weeks, they uh, they evaluated my business and based on their evaluation, decided that I probably had a, a lot more taxable sales to report than what I had reported. In fact, it was, it was a lot more. I'm not sure how they ever came up with such an astronomical figure, but I wouldn't have minded if my business would have brought in that much. But anyhow, uh, so uh, in uh, communicating with uh, the lady in charge, She, of course, wondered what I have to prove my, my, my taxable sales and uh, wondered if I have a point of sale system that I can, that I can uh, print off a journal or, or something. And, and I said, well, I do have a point of sale system now, but the, the taxable year of 2014, which they were uh, making their claim on, I didn't. And I said, I have a pile, a pile of cash register receipts. I said, you're welcome to go through those. Uh, well, she said, I can't come out. This was all on a phone call. Uh, I can't come out. You, can you, can you some, can you send me something? Can you? And I said, well, that's not going to be so easy. I said, I have my, my, I have my income tax return. She said, I already have a copy of that. Okay. Um, well, I said, I'll, I'll see what I can do. I'll try and come up with something. And, uh, so I, um, I went to work and my, my, uh, my computer software is is a a very old program that I like because I know it and it works for me. But it's not uh, not the kind that you can just spit out any information exactly the way you want it and so forth. But I was able I was able to to work through and come up with a a uh, a printout that basically day to day printout of our of our income in the in the sales end of things and so forth and. Uh, in fact, the, the entire income of the business. In that process, I discovered that there was actually a $600 uh, discrepancy in the figures and that uh, that ca- calculated out to me owning, owing uh, about 37-some dollars, 37-odd dollars and odd cents in sales tax that I hadn't reported. And... Uh, 
so I'm looking at my computer and I'm thinking, okay, it wouldn't be hard at all for me to just shift a few things around and make those figures hold out uh, with what she already had. Uh, they had all the figures of what I had reported for that year. It wouldn't be hard at all for me to do that and, and camouflage that in, into something else and, uh, and avoid. And in my mind, I started thinking, okay, so if I have a $600 discrepancy here, uh, uh, owe them $37 in sales tax, um, what if they, uh, what if because they find this little discrepancy, what if they want to, you know, see all my records for the next, for the 15, 16, you know, and all that. And what if, and what if, and, uh, I'm thinking, and the thought, you know, crossed my mind, boy, maybe it'd be easier to just bury this thing so that, uh, so that I wouldn't have a, a chain of complications come out of it. And the thought, and then, uh, uh and, you know, these are the, the fleeting thoughts that go through your mind. And then I thought, you know what? I'm going to have a clear conscience in this matter. It doesn't matter what the outcome is. I'm going to present it just the way it is. And, uh, you know, a couple of bucks ain't worth a, a guilty conscience. When, I, when, we, when we actually settled the, the dust on the matter... I was on the phone with her again. I sent her my, my paperwork, and <laughs> uh, I had to then uh, spend a little time explaining to her so she could understand my paperwork. And once we had it all, and as in the course of that conversation, I said to her, I said, and I discovered a $600 discrepancy, I said, in my uh, reporting. Um, and I told her I can, I, I, uh, I, I can explain how it happened. <clears throat> I... Uh, and she says, we're not worried about $600. That's not what we're looking for. We're, you know, and, and it wasn't. I mean, they, you guys wouldn't believe the figure they had, they had put out there that I might have had in income, uh, in sales. Uh, it was more than double. It was almost, I think it was almost, it was more than double. It might even be getting close to triple what our actual sales were. And they were, get, they were, uh, getting ready to see if, uh, if I needed to pay a whole bunch more sales tax, you know. But anyway, so that all done, that that I would say, as I thought about it, I thought, you know, that illustrates uh, this this picture a bit. You know, there's we have this respect for these different associations, uh, but there always has to be in our hearts there has to be that uh, that that other that overrides, and in in this particular case. Uh, the fear of God over, and it's, and it, I realize it's, in, in a way, it's, it's, it's not totally, uh, it's not like I was being tested for, uh, truth or anything like that in the sense of, uh, against disobeying God, but it, it illustrates it a bit, I think. Uh, what I was, uh, and the, the uh, relationship that we have there and the need that where the fear of God is that, in all situations, there always we always have to be sure that our conscience is clear with God. Uh, that that has to be the predominant uh, reality of the fear of God in our lives. It has to have the number one place in our hearts. <clears throat> in our 
obedience to God, in our love for God. You know, we think about, uh, again, about Joseph and uh, his obedience to God. It was, it was the number one thing in his heart. We think about Abraham and God's call on his life, and he demonstrated uh, his uh, actions, demonstrated where his heart was. And so the fear of God is, uh, having the fear of God basically in our hearts is basically God is at that number one spot. He is at, he, he holds that number one spot and, uh, it doesn't matter what comes our way, how it comes our way, we will always evaluate our lives, our response, our whatever before God and before the uh, the the word of God, which gives us God's heart. <clears throat> and may I say that uh, the fear of God does not create individualists. You know, uh, there's actually situations, and and probably too many of them, where people take the posture that, well, I'm a you know. I have God in my life. I'm accountable to God. Uh, that's all that matters. I don't have, uh, I don't really have to worry about these other things. But the fear of God does not create individualists. The fear of God rather would probably create, uh, uh, true meaningful relationships, uh, in life, uh, rather than, uh, individualism where a person can't really mesh or doesn't want to mesh or blend with others. <clears throat> So how do we know that we have the fear of God in our hearts? How, and I don't know if we have to know how much of the fear of God we have. I don't know if we have to have to uh, exactly try to come up with a decision to whether we have more of the fear of God than the average or, or not, like Nehemiah said. Uh, but how do we know that we have the fear of God? And I simply... Uh, answer that question by saying, how did God know that Abraham had the fear of God? Or how did we know that Abraham had the fear of God? How did we, how do we know that the, uh, the uh, uh, Hebrew midwives had the fear of God? How do we know that Joseph had the fear of God? It's by their responses to the situation, Right? It's by how they handled the situation, how they responded to it, what they did in the middle of it that demonstrates that the fear of God was in control, was uh, ruling their life, and they were responding in the fear of God. And so I think it's safe to say that that's how we will know. How we respond in life's given situations, whether... Small or great, whether simple or difficult, whether easy or complex, you know, how we respond to it will tell us, will, is a gauge for us to know whether we are responding in the fear of God, whether we have the fear of God in our hearts. Um, yeah. So think about that. Um, I'm not sure there is any other way to know. You know, we can make a profession of the fear of God. We can say we fear God, but 
the bottom line actually is, how does it work out in our experience? And does it work out in our experience? You know, we have the example of Joseph where uh, that was the only thing. Uh, There was no, I shouldn't, how do you say it? There would have been results if Joseph would have given in to Potiphar's wife. There would have been results. There would have been negative results. But the bottom line is, mom and dad weren't there. Uh, The preacher wasn't there. Uh... The bottom line is he was alone. And really the only person, the only being that was going to uh, be answerable to was God. And uh, that is that is uh, that demonstrates uh, the 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 strength of the fear of God in his heart. And I think we can also in our hearts, uh, we can in our experience, we can know that if in a private moment, in a, in, a, in a moment when no one is looking, we find ourselves easily going into this or that or the other thing or, or, or whatever sin it is, we can be sure that we are definitely on the weak end of the fear of God. We can be sure that there is a, there is a need for a holy revival of the fear of God in our hearts. If in those private moments we, we just don't, yeah, we don't care. We we do our do our own thing, whatever it is. <clears throat> so our responses demonstrate to us the fear of God that is in our hearts. You know, the fear of God is something that needs to be cultivated in our lives. Uh, I think it's something that doesn't just happen, though it's a blessing that having a good godly heritage and having been exposed to uh, biblical principles all our lives, which which really helps cement the fear of God in our hearts, those things are all good. But in reality, it actually has to be uh, cultivated as we go through life. Uh, just because we were, you know, very much a God-fearing person at one point or the fear of God was very real and active in our lives and experience doesn't mean it's going to be that way in 20 years or five years. It doesn't just automatically stay there. It's uh, something that uh, uh, life's ongoing situations, we never stay the same. Life's ongoing situations continue to form us as a person. And our responses to those situations continue to, to form us as a person. And uh, if we respond to life situations in the flesh, uh, the fear of God will become less and less re- uh, real in our experience and the flesh will become more dominant. Uh, <clears throat> so the fear of God must be cultivated. And when we think about cultivating it... Uh, there's a proverb in Proverbs 8.13 that says, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride, arrogancy, and the evil way. So when you think about that verse and you think about the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, there's this, this, uh, this idea that uh, 
if we're going to cultivate the fear of the Lord, there's there's um, there's a certain response in our hearts that needs to happen uh, if we're going to cultivate the fear of the Lord, and and we have it re, uh, kind of echoed in in First Thessalonians five twenty two, where it says we're to abstain from all appearance of evil. And we have Romans 12, 9, which says, Abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. So, and I like that one in Romans because it gives us the negative and the positive. Abhor that which is evil, cleave to the good. That's that's a, a very uh, clear picture of cultivating the fear of God. Abstaining the evil, abhorring the evil, uh, running from it, despising it, if I may say so, you know, but embracing the good, embracing that which is right, embracing the truth, embracing uh, uh, the things that are pleasing to God, and thereby we are uh, we are cultivating the fear of God in our hearts. In Job twenty eight twenty eight. Uh, Job makes this uh, statement, and he's he's quoting God in a sense. He's, and unto man he said, "Behold, the fear of the Lord that is wisdom, and to depart from evil is understanding." So we uh, we we have this uh, we get this picture of, uh, and this is the picture that I get: obedience cultivates the fear of God. And the fear of God cultivates obedience. And so you kind of get this thing going, uh, almost like a, a continuous circle where, uh, or a, uh, or a reciprocal going where obedience cultivates the fear of God and the fear of God cultivates obedience. Psalm 34 has quite a bit to say, uh, down that line, the, uh, in that concept. I probably won't look at the entire psalm but uh but when we talk about cultivating the fear of fear of the lord the posture of this this uh, psalm in verse uh, in verse 6 it says this man cried and the lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles and in verse 9, O fear the Lord, ye his saints, for there is no want to them that fear him. And verse 11, Come ye children, hearken unto me, I will teach you the fear of the Lord. And so the, 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 uh, the, the psalm has in it the context of the fear of the Lord, and, and we see the, uh, the posture of heart that uh, cultivates it. We have... Uh, in verse 1, we have, I will bless the Lord. In verse 2, we have, my soul shall make her boast in the Lord. In verse 3, we have, O oh, magnify the Lord, exalt his name. In verse 4, we have, I sought the Lord. In verse 5, uh, they looked unto him. In verse 6, this poor man cried. Uh, it's all, you know, kind of active words, kind of active words of cultivating the fear of God. Uh, Seeking God, crying out to God, uh, blessing God, magnifying God, uh, making our boast in God. It's, it's cultivating the fear of the Lord, uh, these ver- uh, verses this psalm does, and this response rather. Uh, 
if we can uh, uh, embrace that kind of a response in life. Oh, fear the Lord, ye his saints, for there is no want with them that fear him. And so the fear of the Lord is something that needs to be cultivated and doesn't just happen. Um, but it is, it is, uh, there's many benefits to it, obviously. Uh, we, we've seen it in the life of Abraham. We've seen it in the life of Joseph. We've seen it in the life of uh, Job, uh, a man that feared God. And kind of wrapping up my thoughts this morning, we have, uh, we have those words in Ecclesiastes 12 verse 13, where the writer says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Fear God, keep his commandments, this is the whole duty of man. So I would say this morning that the first and most important virtue for the head of the home, the man of the house, is to fear God and to, uh, to have that fear, have that, uh, have it reflected in the life. To fear God and to have it reflected in the life is, uh, the first and foremost virtue that needs to be a part of uh, our lives as uh, as the head of the household, as the man in charge, as the one whom God made responsible for our house. Um, fear God. Exer- cultivate the fear of God. Uh, draw an eye to God and allow His fear to dominate our hearts and experience. Perhaps we could conclude with prayer. If you're able, kneel together with me and we'll have a word of prayer. Father, we do quiet our hearts before you this moment. Thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the examples in the scriptures that we have looked at this morning of Job, of uh, Abraham, uh, Joseph, the uh, the Hebrew midwives and their tes- testimony of the fear of God. And uh, Father, I pray that that, could, that testimony could continue in our generation, that uh, there would be a continued fear of God, that the hearts of uh, this uh, this generation could could maintain that same posture of heart, a posture of fear before you, having and holding you above all else. And Father, do continue to uh, to draw our hearts in fellowship with you, and uh, yeah, show us the way. Show us how these things are done. Show us how they're worked out in practical everyday life. And help us to be a blessing in that level, Father, where it can be said of us that we feared God. So, Father, again, thank you for this assembly. Bless each one present. And uh, continue to nurture us in your truths, in your purposes, in your will. We ask in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.